Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. So I want to conjure up two words, um, and I want to ask you what kind of emotions come to mind. The word preference and the word commitment. When you hear the word preference, what kind of emotions come to mind? And when you hear the word commitment, what kind of emotions come to mind? Um, for many of us, I would imagine the word preference, there's some more positive emotions. The word commitment, there's a little bit more like hesitancy and fear. Obviously, by the title of my talk, you're going to see where we're going today, that we want to talk about commitment in the culture of preference. Uh, we live in a, a very preference-based society, right? I can go and get a latte, and I can order it however I want. I can go to Oramo Coffee on Lincoln Avenue, and I can pick between four different milks, Right, like I can, I, we we live in a society filled with preference. Um, before I get into this today, though, I, I I've been thinking and meditating on something. And I think that this talk is a very. Let me. I just want to say from the outright, this is a very non-appealing um, talk. In other words, like hearing a talk about commitment um, sounds pretty lame to me. When I was preparing this, I'm like, this is boring. This is really boring. Talk about commitment. Um, so I just want to say that from the out front, this is going to be a boring topic. And this talk is not going to be the greatest. But what I want to say is this. Great lives. If you think about great lives, uh, people who live amazing lives, people who live lives that, that, that press in to uh, reality, that, that live a life of purpose and meaning, right? Like these people like, um, I, let's just take the people who cross Selma Bridge. Um, the people who crossed Selma Bridge didn't all of a sudden just decide, hey, I'm going to go like, show up in Selma and cross the bridge. They had a life filled of commitment towards equal voting for African Americans. Right? There was a life of, 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 of unwavering commitment that I'm giving my life to this cause. I'm giving my life to this community for this cause. And then all of a sudden, they were in the right place at the right time. Any great life, if you want to live a great life, the thing we talk about often is the stories of success of what they did, but we never talk about the ingredients of how they got there. And what I want to propose to you today is commitment is the very key ingredient to what it means to live a great life. I want to begin with a story uh, of a man who uh, lived in a society much like ours. He lived in a, in a city that was filled with, um, filled with like everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. It was a city of commerce, a city of progress, a city of innovation. It was a city of, of, of growth. And the, he heard this voice that said, leave this city. I want you to leave this city and I want you to go to another place. And I actually want to go take you to this other place because I'm going to actually, through you, build an entire community I'm going to build a whole different society because of you leaving. And he heard this voice, and he, said, he attributed this voice to God, even though he didn't even know who God was. He felt like this was something from above, something from a higher power. And he, he said, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you an offspring. And this man thought this was crazy because his wife was barren, and he was in his 80s. And so he trusted him. He said, okay, fine, I'll do this. And he finally gets through doing this and goes out and he goes, you know what, you said this, this God being, you said this to me, but how do I know it's true? Like, how can I trust you? How can I trust this, this ethereal, vague, abstract voice that I'm attributing to it to be God, having trust that this is a God, this is the, the true God? How can I trust you with this? And, he goes, and, and, and God said, Let me, I want you to do this. I want you to gather some animals. And this was in an archaic society, so this is weird. 
But so I want you to gather some animals, and I want you to cut them in half. And I want you to cut them in half, and I want you to place them on each side of this row. And what he was doing was not like, um, that sounds really weird to us, but that would have been like, hey, I want you to jump on the L train. Because that was an ancient Near East custom of what it meant to form a, a formal covenant with someone. And so God says, do this, and so he does it. And, and what this symbolizes is, is you would walk through this line knowing that if either party were, a covenant was, is different from a contract. A covenant is, is if either, either party breaks this, there's consequences. And there's going to be the consequences of any of us break this commitment and agreement is bloodshed, is death. Um, and so God says, I have a covenant. I'm going to give you a great, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you um, this, this land. And I'm going to give, make you a culture and a people. And you're going to have a covenant. Part of your covenant is just to trust. That's it. I just want you to trust that I'll do this. Pretty easy, right? And so in the midst of this, the guy falls asleep, passes out. And then he has this vision of God walking through for him on his behalf through this covenant. And, he, and when he sees it, it's a smoking pot and a blazing torch. And this person I'm talking about is a guy many of you know called Abraham, right? Or you've heard the story of Abraham, uh, who had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, right? Like you grew up in church, you knew the song. But we missed this part of the story because it's weird. And like, okay, what is this? Is a story about blazing torches and smoking fire pots. And he sees this God come in there. And I want you to say this out front. I want you to just put it to the side. And I want you to just put it over here for a little bit because we're going to come back to it. Story number two. Story number two is this woman I know who's a friend of mine. She prays, she reads her scriptures, she's devoted to God, she loves on the poor. She's one of the people who I know that like, is very spiritually attuned. She, she, she does all these things, but she does not have a committed community that she belongs to. Um, and her life is somewhat out of balance in that way. Uh, and for the sake of time, I'm going to go short on that story. Story number three. Story number three, and we're gonna just, these are all just going to kind of connect later on, okay? Story number three is, uh, comes from the pen of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin made an observation during the French Revolution about the colonials and the natives. And he made this observation that any time that a, chi- a Native American child got close to the colonial community, and they almost wanted to embrace that child into that community, the child would never stay. And Benjamin Franklin observes this, but he says, but what's weird is sometimes we would capture a colonial prisoner. And you would think for colonialism, this is a time that is much a richer life, a much further along advanced life, right? The colonials were, were, were making progress, and, and the natives were a community of tribes and, and commitment and family. And there was prisoners, colonial prisoners, Benjamin Franklin observed, that once the rescuers came to get those um, colonials out of prison, they would run away so they could stay in the native community. That they would choose to stay in the native community rather than go to the colonial community. That's story number three. All these stories have to do with covenant. They all have to do with commitment. And we live in a preference-based society in which we, and we, this preference-based society has evolved because of the Industrial Revolution, because of the sexual revolution in the 1960s, and all these different things in this progress has led to a lot of good things, like we led to, you know, less sexism and xenophobia and homophobia and all the other phobias. It's led to a lot of good things, and I'm not saying we should go back the other way, because some of you would have to marry your cousin and, like, become a blacksmith, and I'm not saying we go back to that, right? 
But what I am saying is that there's something that we've done. We've moved from an entire pendulum swing in which the radical hyper-individualism is playing in our full ears at gusto. And that is leading to a society where we only ask the question, what is best for me? Which is not a great question, right? If you go to Selma March and you say, what is best for me? I don't think you're marching across that bridge. I think if you're, if you're, if you're God in the midst of this covenant and God says, you know what? I'm just going to order things on preference. What is best for me? I'm not going to risk my life of breaking the covenant, my promise, to, to Abraham, right? And so we've moved from a sense of, of this, this covenant community-based society to a preference base. Now, um, this is what sociologists call thick communities versus thin communities, um, or thin communities. Another word for that is called peg, uh, Zygmunt Bauman called peg communities. Um, so most of us now, we live in a thin community, right? Where our work is behind a screen and a desk, or we work in a social industry. We live far away from our families. Um, we're, interde- we're interdependent. Um, and this is what would be called post-industrial revolution thin community, which would be like the bowling league, the garden club, the book club, the Kiwanis club. It's because there's, the commitment is around mutual interest. It's a peg community, right? Over, and and we've, we've moved from this sense of thick community, which is being a producer, to thin communities, which is about being consumers. And not only, I mean, think about this, right? The, the, in, the invention of the selfie, right? You have this picture of this. This is probably my favorite most ironic selfie picture. Um, it's the middle of a demonstration in the middle of Barcelona in which there's explosions in the background, and here's these two girls taking a selfie. It's like it's, this picture is worth a thousand worlds, uh, words. And um, this peg commu- the, this sense of, of, of preference society, right? A, a, a peg community is like, I'm a Cubs fan. Um, I have a third of a season tickets with the Cubs, and there's some people sitting next to me. And, you know, we get to know each other. And when, man, there's a home run, we high-five each other. Um, but when they're not there, it's not a big deal to me. I'm not like, oh, my gosh, they're gone. That's a peg community. A peg community is we're built around common interests, but if they leave my life, it doesn't really make a difference. Whereas a covenant community is formed by love and covenant and familial fidelity. Um, Listen to this quote by A.J. Swoboda. He says, Today, in a world where we can find whole communities of people who think like us, share our values, and have common likes, we are trading in our ethical relationships, thick relationships, for peg relationships. The result is troubling. We do not really need to love anybody who is different if we do not feel like it. We can cower in the corner with all the people we agree with. It's so true, right? I mean, think about how Facebook has algorithms for you to only see people that you agree with and only allow you to hear from those that we like. Netflix curates your, your content so that you only shows you the stuff we like. We are isolated around our preferences. We are built in a society where we are moving more and more isolated around individual preferences. Now contrast that, I want to contrast that with commitment, um, a commitment-based society. So um, next slide. So a, a preference-based society, the result is instability, right? People come and go based on their emotions. Um, I'm in as long as it benefits me. Um, and so you th- go back to the analogy of the, 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 the Cubs game. Um, think about a book club, right? You join a book club. Me and Stan- Stanley started a book club. Um, we were part of it, and we had a couple of great books, but all of a sudden, changed the books, didn't like them, nobody shows up, right? It's like, okay, 
Um, you ch I'm not sure exactly if that's what happened, but that's an example of a book club where it's like, hey, you changed the genre, I'm not coming. I don't like that genre, right? And so a book club is this, this it's instable because um, basically there's, their commitment is to, based off my emotions or my preferences. Um, wherever people no longer have this inner daringness to make promises to each other, there's going to be this, this sense of this human community now becomes a combat zone for, for, for preferences, for, for, for self-maximizers, right? Um, what, I, what do I want? And I'm going to do that. And as long as you dis don't disagree with me, we'll be in community. But if you disagree with me, we're out. So this is a very unstable kind of community. Second slide. Um, not only does this community result in instability, it's isolation. It's isolation. And... I talked about this week one, you can go back and listen to it, but we talked about just the epidemic of loneliness in our culture. The epidemic of loneliness. Oh, man, I mean, like, America's experiencing it so much so. Britain is experiencing it. I talked about that they hired a loneliness minister in Britain. Literally, the title is loneliness minister. So we have this sense of, and this is not talking about those who are single, this is people who are married, people with kids, people that are, that are, that are elderly, all over the map, no matter the generation, we are in a mass, mass stream of loneliness. Third, this, this leads into a loss of freedom, which is counterintuitive because you think, I get to choose what I want, that's freedom. But you're only choosing what your bodily functions feel like in the moment. Right? You're only choose this is being governed by fate and your bodily functions, the fact that you choose whatever you feel like. And freedom, true freedom is no matter what happens, I'll be this kind of person. Right? No matter what happens, this is the kind of person I'm going to be. But we have actually a less freedom when we do this, because this is not this is we are driven by circumstances when we're in a preference based culture where instead of being driven, having freedom is above circumstances, right? I mean, and then fourthly, we have an unknown identity. We have an unknown identity. We are only known by what we choose, and what we choose changes. Therefore, our identity is constantly changing. This is why you can leave, go to a whole other city, and start over. And, just and you hear this all the time. You can look up, blog, create a new identity, create my new self, create yourself. You'll see thousands of blogs on how to create an identity, how to curate an identity, because we, are all, we now just don't know who we are because we live in a preference-based society. We can change at the whim. But a, but a commitment-based society, there's, we, we can, promises are so true. Promises are so key, guys. This is so critical. Because a promise is saying that no matter what, I'll be the same person that I was yesterday, I'll be in the future. That the same person I was then, that same kind of character, this is my identity, and you can trust that identity, and that's the same identity I'm going to have in the future that I'm going to be true to myself no matter what happens. So we have this unknown identity. And what happens is, I would say, I see two things happening in our generation with this, two major things. One is just this, what Soren Kierkegaard called the aesthetic life, right? We are just curating an experience. Your Instagram feed is going to look amazing. You're going to have 20 in social engagements in a week. But what are they building to? They're, you're like, Those, that was amazing, another great experience, but are you building to something? Yes, you have a very beautiful aesthetic life. Your life's decisions is, is it pretty or is it ugly? Is it painful or is it pleasurable? That's the aesthetic life. The second thing is the sense of um, insecure overachieving, the sense of mentor shopping, the sense of like, 
climbing the corporate ladder in which we are going to do whatever our boss says so we can climb this, climb this corporate ladder and I'm going to give myself to the rat race of achievement. But either way, we're left with no identity, and it's exhausting. Contrast this with a commitment-based society, right? Commitment-based society, we have stability and intimacy, the two core things of human needs. We need, we need consistency and commitment, and we need, like, surprise and intimacy and vulnerability. Um, these are two core critical things to our humanity. Um, and so um, if you think about what is commitment, like, what is commitment? Commitment is falling in love. That's what commitment is. Commitment is I am falling in love, and I'm going to build structures around me so that when I fall out of love, I'll still be with the thing I love. Does that make sense? That's what commitment is. It's, it's falling in love with something and saying, I'm going to build structures and systems and behaviors so in a boundary around this thing I love so that when love falls through, I'll still be close. I'll still be intimate. You see that? And then commitment leads to more freedom. That when we make promises, we stake a claim on freedom. A promise means the person who, who makes it, it's going to be there. We limit our freedom, right, so that we can be free to be there for the ones we love. We lim- actually choose to say no to things so that we can say yes to care for those who are sick. We, the, the, the only place we now, the reason why this covenant is such a critical part of Christian story, but we, we've lost it because the only time we celebrate covenant is what? Marriage, right? Marriage covenant, and which is beautiful because, you know, I have the joy, I'm doing three weddings in a couple months, and, and I have the joy to see the faces right here, right? And there's a beautiful covenant that, like, sickness and in health, richer or poorer, I will be by your side till death do us part. And there's this rich covenant, this rich sense of freedom that no matter what fate throws at us, I'll hold on. And what that's so powerful, that's why we celebrate when someone gets 50 years, 50 years of marriage. We're like, that is a huge deal. Why? Because these crazy 20-year-olds fell in love and didn't know who they were, and they still love each other. There's a common phrase that, like, you're, you've married to the same, uh, you've married to four different people, right? You've heard that before? That, like, when you're married for 50 years, you've been married to four different people but the same spouse. It's because your identity, this is my next one, we have a known identity. Your, my identity is that I am a spouse. I am a spouse. But yet, no matter what happens, what changes, because of that commitment, no matter if my spouse changes or if I change, that is who I am. That is critical to who I am. Therefore, no matter what throws our way, we are going to be faithful to one another because we made a promise and we keep it no matter who changes. But the deal is, is our society wants both. We see this in this next line of this Macklemore song, right? He says this, we came here to live like nobody was watching, but I got my city right behind me. If I fall, they got me. Do you see that? First line is all about preference. Like, I'm just going to live like no one's watching. I do whatever I want, but I've got this city right behind me. They're going to they're, they're gonna be here for me. And the, the deal is, is, you can't have both in the purest forms. You can't have both preference, being driven by preference, and driven by commitment in their purest forms. And if our society is heading anywhere, it feels like we're kind of headed towards community, I would say, right now. Um, but what I love what uh, David Brooks says is he says, well, actually, what we're headed towards is the evil twin of community, which is tribalism. And we see we're being, we're being driven to tribalism in which we gather around the people we like, the people who are just like us, and we're forming these peg communities. We see this in politics. Tribalism is we are united because we have a mutual hate. 
community is we're united because we have a mutual love. You see the difference? Tribalism is like we're united because we all hate the same things. Whereas community is like we all we we have a mutual love, and no matter who you are, that's the beauty of the church. It doesn't matter your your race or background or socioeconomic status or your demo, denominational background or or where you come from, your story. It's where a CEO of a of a Fortune 500 company can share bread and life and community with a shift manager at McDonald's. There's no other community like that in America. No other community like that in America. And so the church is this beautiful. God called it, Jesus called it the multifaceted wisdom of God. The more multifaceted, this braided, gorgeous, out, outlandish, multicolored cloak that the church is, is this wisdom that comes from commitment. Now, I just want to pause there. And some of you are like, yeah, that sounds too hard. I just prefer preference, right? I'm actually preaching to the wrong crowd because all the preference people missed out because of the rain. They're like, I'm just not coming. So. You're like, I'm here. I'm committed. It rained. I showed up at church. I always tell my wife, I was like, it's going to rain today. Nobody's going to be here at church. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be so nice today. No one's going to be at church. Everyone's going to be outside. It's like every time, it was like, it's going to be one of those days. Um, and so I get it. I get this sounds hard, and I get that you're afraid of commitment, and I get it, but I just want to say there's a couple of things that caught, I think that's wise. One was just FOMO. We have the fear of missing out. We have the fear of missing out. Uh, second is fear of abandonment. The deal is, is we live in a culture where most of us have, are lived into broken promises. We have been mentored by families of broken promises. Statistically, the majority of us in this room grew up with a family that was divorced, became divorced. Um, when I was younger, I heard this, we were scandal after scandal. Why should I trust an organization? Why should I trust an institution? Scandal after scandal of the Catholic Church, now we're hearing scandals in the evangelical church. And so we have valid fears. We have these questions. Does these sound familiar at all? These are some that I wrote down. What if I limit myself and I become miserable? Right? What if I limit myself and I become miserable because of this commitment? What if I commit but the other person doesn't? Right? What if I commit, but the other person doesn't? What if I get taken advantage of? But the deal is, is if you never commit, you will never experience the joy of intimacy, long-term intimacy. If you never commit, you will never experience the, the, the pure joy of, that it's better to give than to receive, that it's better to serve than to be served. You will not experience that kind of commitment. Um, we also just, we have a hard time being vulnerable because of these broken promises. C.S. Lewis Paraphrasing him, he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. If you, wanna, if you want to like, love anything, your heart's going to be broken. If you want to keep it intact, put your heart in a coffin and don't give it to anybody, not even an animal, he says. He says, the only place outside of heaven that you can do that, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love, because love is very dangerous, the only place you can do that and be safe from the dangers of love is hell. He says, if you're going to love it all, it's going to risk being broken. So we have to make a choice. Are we going to keep our heart intact, not risk being vulnerable, or are we going to love and commit knowing that we're probably going to be hurt sometimes? But we're going to be fully alive, living into the image of Jesus, people. We're going to be fully embodying the, the standard of Jesus who gave his life open arms, right? So where do we get this power to commit, right? Because God, 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 God could have ran things by preference. 
He could have been like, in Doug, Dougville Platypus, I don't really like you. You're gone, right? He could have said, yeah, unicorns. I kind of like those now. I'm changing my mind. Unicorns. Let's do unicorns. Um, he, could, he could function based off preference, but the whole key of what I'm getting at is our God is a covenant God. He is a covenant-keeping God. This is the whole narrative of the story, the whole Bible. Have you ever thought about like, why the Bible is so ridiculously long, especially the Old Testament? You're just like, this is long, right? This is long. It's because the whole Old Testament is about the story of the promise made that God made to be faithful, and it is a story again and again and again and again and again and again where we have been unfaithful. It is a whole story about our unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. And the, 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 the hinge is Jesus in which the whole New Testament is about the promise kept. So the Old Testament is the promise made. The New Testament is the promise kept. And so we see this all the way back to Adam and Eve. God looked at Eve and says, you know what? I promise that I am going to crush Satan's head. He has grabbed your heel. He's affected you, but I will crush his head. Very first promise. The very first covenant we see is with Noah, in which he gathers his family in this ark. He says, I'll never flood the earth again. Never, ever, ever will I flood the earth again. Ever. I promise this. I will never wipe out a whole people. And then we see the covenant with Abraham we just saw. Now, the covenant with Noah, there was no... With the covenant, there's the promise made, the responsibilities on both parts. And what's amazing about God is he says, you break your part of the covenant, and I'm going to actually, like, still stay faithful to mine. And so that's where God is different from other covenants. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. You just need to trust and raise a family who will have justice-based relationships. That's all I said. I want you to have right relationships with each other and with society, and I want you to trust. Abraham didn't do it, right? He didn't trust. He said, you know what, this whole child thing you said not working out. Um, Handmaiden, um, you seem fertile. My wife doesn't. Let's have a child. Ishmael, great, right? He didn't trust. He didn't have justice-based relationships, right? He, he lied again and again and again. So then, so then we get to the next major covenant in the Bible, which is the children of Israel, in which he looked at Moses and set up this covenant, this, these ten commandments that are said, these are the way life works best. And if you keep these, I promise to bless you. I will bless you. And then you get into um, David, Right? David was this, the, the king of Israel. He made this covenant with him that he's going to give him the rule and reign of Israel, that he would sit on the throne and rule and reign. Um, and and his, his covenant was that he would be a humble king. Now, all these things, everyone failed. And then we get to the end of the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. He says, you know what? God's like, I'm gonna, all these covenants, I'm going to actually make a whole other covenant. <laughs> so this is a God just continually making promises to us. Do you got? Are you guys with me? Just check in for a minute. He's continually making promises to them, and he's continually making promises to you. Let me get back to that. So now he makes this new promise. I will put a new heart in you. I will take out the heart of stone that you've continually broken all these promises. I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. Now here's where it gets good, guys. Jesus comes along, and he fulfills every one of those promises and he, not only does he obey in every one where they got it wrong, he decides to say, you failed completely. I'm going to live into the promise, embody exactly what it meant for you as you were created to be a participant with God, to create on this earth. I'm going to fulfill the perfect human that you could never fulfill. And the deal is, is not only am I going to do that, I'm going to then give you all the blessings as if you fulfilled them. Isn't that good news? 
I'm going to give you every one of the blessings. Noah, you know what? People, I will never wipe you out again. You have complete access to me forever. I will never wipe any one of you out, no matter how far you've run from God. If your life is a train wreck, you are a perfect match for Jesus today. Do you hear me? You are a perfect match for Jesus. Remove the religious thought in your head that you need to be good, that you need to be perfect, that you need to get good enough for God for him to love you. He loves you just as you are. Yes and amen. He doesn't love you, and he will change you once you receive that love, but he loves you just as you are. And then Abraham, he doesn't trust. We continually don't trust. Jesus, trust the Father, Garden of Gethsemane. God, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, God, if there's anything else you can do, let me have another faith. But I will trust you completely. I will give you my entire life. I will die for these people because he considered it joy to endure the cross for us. What was the joy? It was us. And then next, children of Israel. That's why he says, the, I am the fulfillment of the law. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I'm actually going to live out the fully flourishing life that, that, doesn't, that, that keeps the promises, that rests on the Sabbath, that has these relationships, that doesn't murder, that creates a nonviolent culture here. I'm going to live into that. And then I'm going to be the king that rules and reigns. And then I'm going to give you my spirit. And I'm going to bestow this upon you. And I'm going to keep making promises. Isn't that good news? That we are not upheld by our commitment to God. We are upheld by God's commitment to us. That's the good news. Now, why does he do this? It's because, remember what I said, what is commitment? What is commitment? It's falling in love with something and putting boundaries around it so that you can have it when it falls out of love with you. And that's what God does. He has fallen in love with us, his creatures, and he's put boundaries around it to protect us so that when we fall out of love with him, we still have him. There's nothing you can do in all creation to separate yourself from the love of God. Neither heights nor angels, depths, angels, demons, nothing in creation can separate you from his love. This is such good news. So that's the Bible in like seven minutes, essentially. And the thing I, I, sh- I wanted to come back to is God, God's continual covenant-making love. That not only is there that, but he is continually making promises to us now. And some of you, God has made promises to you that you feel like were sure and stable, and he's, you've sensed it, to him, sensed it from him, but yet you've, you've questioned and doubted since then. And um, we, see, we see this in Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, a uh, couple of slides later maybe, it says the, the people of God were tempted to go back to the, way, to the way they were, to give up on the faith. And he says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. And so am I here today to tell you that we need to inherit the promise that God has given us. That God has given us promises to Missio Dei that we need to inherit, Promises that we would be a people who experience his presence. Promises that we would be people who pursue justice. And promises that we would be a people who make broken things back to life. That restore broken things and renewal in this city. He's made promises of that to us. Those are promises. And there's two things that I think that we have that are temptations for us that I I just see. I want to speak to them. For us, specifically at Missio Day. The first one is this. We give up before we inherit. For many of us, we just give up too soon. That God's made promises to you, but we give up before we 
inherent. We need patience. Is anybody in here great at patience? Just amazing? Okay, no liars in here, which is very good news. So we have no hands raised, which means we have no liars right now. Not that you never lie, but right now, no liars. Just want to encourage you, church. We give up. Oh, we are such an impatient people. When I want a book on Kindle, and it's not on Kindle, I lose it. I don't cuss, but I get really close. I'm like, what? No book on Kindle? Amazon Prime one day is too slow for me now, right? We are a very impatient people. And the deal is, is we want what, our, what took our parents' generation to get in their 40s, we want in our 20s. And we are impatient. Look at Joseph, the life of Joseph. He had this vision and dream of his life that he was going to be, um, have, a, have a prosperous and great life um, in which his sons would, in a sense, bow down to him, which I know is a very prideful, narcissistic vision. But it was a, narcissist, a vision from God, more so of what was really there, was I have a purpose for you, is what God was saying. And he gets thrown in prison. He gets thrown in prison, 14 years in prison. Joseph could have been like, yeah, promise is over. It's done. Wait, Joseph's not like in prison, in prison going like, look at the good life, man. Instagram it up. God is faithful. Look at me here in prison, right? Like 14 years in prison. And then there's a process that God takes him through in which he takes him from the prison to the palace. From the prison to the palace. King David anointed as king as a nobody. But there was a long process for him to become king. Um, part of my story, I look back through some, sometimes I look back through some of my journals. I, I look back to this sense of prayerful promises I really sense from God that I jotted down. This is in 2010. Um, some context here. This was the middle of a, a, a pretty um, unhealthy uh, church staff culture in which I saw two pastors bow up at each other about to have a fight. Um, our worship leader had an affair. It was just a, it was a really difficult season for me. I asked God to give me a new season, and I asked him for these two things in a sense. God, get me out of my comfort and maintenance and into mission. And then I said, I sensed this from him that he was saying, maybe risky, maybe difficult, give me faith to walk in obedience. And God in 2010 was faithful to that promise to bring me to Chicago. 2010. That's nine years, right? Yeah. So, so God is faithful if we step into the promises, but often we don't listen to the promise, receive the promise, and, and we give up too soon before we inherit. And then back to the Hebrews 6 passage. So what do we do? How do we do this? Two things. He says, through faith and patience. One thing that we must have faith Cultivate faith, an expectancy for God to do this, an expectancy for him to change our situation, an expectancy. I remember in, in Numbers, there was these, this time where the two spies, you remember the story of the two spies that went to Israel, and they came back and said, they look like giants. And then some, one of the spies says, God's given us this land, let's go take it. And it says they came back and told the village, and the village murmured and said, let's go back to Egypt the way we used to live. But he said there was one named Caleb. I love this. Look at the slide with um, 2 Samuel on there and Numbers. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, a spirit of faith, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into and his descendants will inherit. Now, that was back in Numbers. Now, years later, Joshua, he's talking to Joshua. Moses is dead. Caleb says, now then, just as the Lord promised, Caleb speaking, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that was said to me. 45 years, Moses said that to me, and, and I still haven't inherited the land. And so here I am today, 85 years old, 
85 years old. I love this. Because Hebrews says, find people who have imitated this and model your life after them. This is what Caleb shows us. I'm 85, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Oh, so good. He's like, I'm 80. this is a life of endurance, people. This is a life of commitment in which God blesses. So we have to choose to enter into that covenant. We have to choose. What does that mean for us? So, so we have to, first of all, choose to enter into the faithfulness of God. If you're here and you haven't done that, we have to choose to enter into that covenant. And then for us who have chosen to enter that covenant, what does it mean? I just want to give us a little self-evaluation tool as we just close. Because um, I want to, what does it mean for us to be faithful, committed to God, to, to, to the church, and to each other? Um, let's just think about this. First of all, with God. So God, preference-based society... Right? If your relationship is about preference with God, you will constantly be working for favor. But if your relationship is with commitment with God, you will be working from favor. Let me say that again. Preference, if your relationship with God is about preference, you'll be constantly working for his approval, constantly wanting to earn his love, earning his favor, for favor. If you are committed, covenant with him, you are working from the acceptance. You are working because you are already loved. So there's that. That's amazing. That's good. We can just end right there. I could just shut up and we could all go home, go have an amazing lunch, which is probably what most of you are ready to do. But preference is I'm taking God when you want him. I'll take God when I want him. It's on your terms. Commitment is God gets all of you. God gets all of you, all of you, your mind, your heart, soul, and strength. And then the, the other um, temptation that we get into, I didn't get at, we don't have to go back to slide, but preference is what we do is we birth Ishmael's. Remember what I was talked about? With, with he, 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 I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm just going to control this circumstance. I'm going to birth an Ishmael. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to decide, hey, you know what? God's not following through. I'll do this and move this around and then say, hey, God made it come through. See, look, there's Ishmael. There's my son. There's my, there's my inheritance. We do this all the time with God. But a covenant people, a committed society, we, we stay true and faithful. And in preference, we believe God owes us something. I've been single for this so long. I've been single for so long. You, you owe me a great spouse. I've been faithful to this job for so long. You owe me a different one. Um, whereas with, with a covenant, it's that, you know what? He loves me, and I'm, I want to be faithful to him. Um, God has me. Uh, he's, he's, he's going to see me through this situation, but I'm going to be faithful in the midst of the suffering. So that's, that's, that's covenant with God. Now, church. Church is, um, preference is based off choice and shopping, whereas if you have a co- covenant with a community, it's based on, it's based on uh, you see yourself sent to a community. You are called to a community. You're not just like, how was this preaching? How was the sermon? That, that song didn't have Jesus in it. Maybe that church wasn't good. Um, that, guy, that guy didn't speak about substitutionary atonement that week, so he doesn't hit that filter. Um, man, the coffee was great, but um, you know what? I didn't talk to six new people. That's a high standard of mine. It, so wait, this is just a shopping mentality, whereas instead it's like I am called to a community. I am being sent to a community. Preference is that we value seven more people. We want to do life with just people who are like us. And a commitment community is we value and embrace diversity. Wow, God's given us the gift of these diverse people. And these brothers and sisters, God is uniquely wired. What a gift that I can learn from God through them, 
through their unique personality, I can learn who God is. That's a committed-based culture. And the deal is, is some of you are like, well, I just want to do community with the people I like. Look, you're going to be, I remember Ashley, my wife said this when she preached. She's like, you're going to do life with them for eternity. You might as well get used to it now. <laughs> right? You're going to be in heaven worshiping with these people. So you might as well go ahead and get used to it. All right? And then lastly with others, friendship. Preferences, these people meet my needs. Do I like this person? Commitment is how, are, how can I serve them? How are they doing? Preferences, we have a shared interest. Commitment is built on trust. Preferences, after there's conflict, I leave. Commitment is we're going to press through conflict and reach unity. And then preferences, like it's a transient community. Commitment is there's stability here. There's stability here. Preferences, love wanes over time. Commitment is love grows over time. So my question for us is, is, is how, do, how do we become, you know what, Because the culture is forming us greatly doesn't mean that we have to be shaped by the culture. We can be shaped by God's word, his covenant to us, and be the same to each other. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Um, I want to invite the band to come up and as we sing and pray. I just want to, um, just a couple of things here as we, as we close. Um, one, uh, some of you have been a part of this church for, for a very long time. Um, you, you show up on Sundays. You are here. Um, I believe God is calling some of you to take a step of commitment to not just consuming, but to serving and giving and mutual love within a community. And what that means for you is maybe it's a gospel community, maybe it's serving on a Sunday, I don't know, but, and if it's not here, I would just say, have a conversation with me because I would much rather you be a part of a community where you are doing that. I would much rather you as your pastor want you to be a part of a community where that is happening. And if there is a blockage in that, if there is something happening in that, I would want to help you in that. We don't want you um, here just to, to, to be a warm body. We want you fully alive because this community needs you. This community needs your gifts, it needs your love, it needs the Holy Spirit inside of you to come alive to love. Because we have promises God has given us. Promises that his spirit will fall on us. Promises that we believe that we will be people that will repent from injustice, repent from the way we've lived. So God, I pray that you would just cause people to say, you know what, I am here. I love the Wendell Berry poem. He says, I can't remember the full, the full thing, but the line that we are here for, all we, ha- all we need is here. Everything we need is here. I just want to speak that over you. What you need is here, wherever here is. If that's here, be here. And then secondly, I just want to pray for those who are, um, you have this, this, this vision, this, this mindset that just keeps creeping in this lie that, that you, God doesn't love you because of your unfaithfulness. And I just want to speak that that is a lie from the enemy. That you need to take a great gaze and fixation at God's love for you. That he accepts you and he affirms you. Mm. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are my child. You are always with me. Kill the fattened calf. Put the ring on their finger. 
Let's celebrate. My son and daughter have come home. Let's throw a party and have a feast. That's God's words for you. He loves you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased with you. Some of you need to receive that today like you've never before. Some of you need to receive that love from Jesus for the very first time. We want to pray for many of you in this room. If that's you, you're just, I need to hear those blessings. We want to pray over you. And then lastly, um, there's some of you that I believe God has, I want to ask you just what is God, what promises has he made to you that you've given up on? Some of you, he's made a promise to you and you have given up on that promise. Yes, he's promised to commit to you forever. He loves you. There's nothing to separate, but there's a unique promise you sense from him. And maybe you're giving up too soon or you are birthing an Ishmael, but you, God is saying, patience. Be patient with me. I'm here for you. Be patient. Run the race.